Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. We continue in our walk through Revelation today, and uh, we talked last week about the scroll, and that Jesus was the only one worthy enough to open the scroll, and today we see the seals begin to be broken. The scroll is not fully opened in our time today, but... Many of you know the four horsemen, and believe it or not, that's more than just four wrestlers that were big back in the 80s and 90s. Uh, the four horsemen of the apocalypse are what we're looking at today. And so, as Jesus begins to break the seven seals of the scroll, we see the events that will take place before his return. And so, today we are introduced to the horsemen, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, their colors, their riders, and the events that point To a holy God that loves you this morning. If you're here today, he loves you. Let me let me reiterate that as we go through this passage in this book. And if you're looking online on Facebook Live, God loves you. And when we read these things, these are not to um, discourage us, but yet to encourage us. Hear the words as a warning to the lost and a promise to those who have faith in Jesus Christ. So as I said a moment ago, last week was the throne of God and the elders and the angels. They were worshiping God and the problem arose that there was a scroll that no one could open. Only Jesus, the Lamb of God, could do that. And so today we see that scroll opening or the, the seals being opened. And the events that we see as the seals are unbroken, these things must happen before the content of the scroll is ever read. Many believe that the contents of the scroll is basically the plan for the rest of eternity. In other words, God's going to roll out his plans. No one knows all of those plans. Not even Jesus himself knows when he's going to return. But these seals must be broken before the scroll can be read. So, just to give you a heads up, these seals being opened are leading up to the main event. When the scroll is open, you're going to see Jesus return on a white horse to reign and dominate everything on this planet. So with that said, let's jump right in with our time together this morning. Number one, seal number one, the white horse. The white horse, the rider on the white horse is probably not who you think it is when you first glance at it. As you read verses 1 and 2, it says, As I watched, the Lamb broke the first of seven seals on the scroll. Then I heard one of the four living beings say with a voice like thunder, Come. I looked up and saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow, and a crown was placed on his head. And he rode out to win the battles and gain the victory. Folks, every time one of these seals is broken... The author says, come, come and see. And so the thing is, is the opening of these seals, they demand our attention. The book of Revelation is not something that just we can read for entertainment. It demands our attention and it demands it to be preached and it demands it to be believed. You see, note that the angel, the living being, invites John in this vision to come and see. It is very easy for people today to discount and ignore and disobey God's word. That's why we are in the shape that we are in. But we see, come and see, because rejecting Jesus comes so naturally for many because they are too consumed 
for themselves. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if you are filled with your own problems and your own self, you will have no room for God to work in your life. These following events are ones that people will want to write off, but one day will be unable to. God will go from wanting your attention to flat out demanding it. And that's what we see. So the white horse, you may think because of what we read later on in Revelation that the white horse and the rider on the white horse is Jesus, but it is not. On this first horse, this white horse is not Jesus. Jesus does not return on a white horse until Revelation 19. However, this is not a cowboy movie where the hero rides into town, giddy up, giddy up, giddy up, and, and everybody just runs to, to meet the hero. No, this is not Jesus. The rider on the white horse is actually a satanic dictator who is imitating Jesus. He rides the same color horse. He looks like a warrior. He does amazing things, and he leads people, but it is not Jesus. Who is it, my friends? It is the Antichrist. You have just been introduced to the white horse, and the rider on that white horse is the Antichrist. He wears a crown. He commands armies. He has many victories. And he has influence and dominion over many. Folks, he is a Jesus impersonator. And there are going to be many people that are going to fall for him. There are going to be many people that love him. There are going to be many people that devote their life to him. But we know this is not Jesus by looking at the results as we see these seals continue to be broken. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, it gets worse. So if this were Jesus coming right here, things would be getting better. But this is the culmination of when things are going to start to happen. The Antichrist shows up and things start getting bad. His rule kicks off the events that result from the opening of the other seals, and it's bad. It's very bad. The rider of the white horse is the Antichrist because many will state, will mistake him for Jesus. I don't know this for sure, but, but I would imagine that when the Antichrist comes, the Antichrist is supposed to be loved by everybody. I think if you ever hear the Jewish nation accept this leader as the Messiah, you may have your answer there. I mean, it's... It's crazy. Crazier things could happen. But we see here is that when Jesus came to this earth, he was not the Messiah the world was looking for. He was not even the Messiah that they wanted. He was the Messiah that we needed. So your understanding of the first writer will reveal your outlook of the entire, bo- of the entire book of Revelation. There are some people that see the book of Revelation in two ways. For some people, they see it as a historic book, as one that beautifully describes things that have already happened and yet to be yet, yet to happen. I remember years ago when, when I was younger, there were some people that would say, well, the current president we have is the Antichrist. You know, I'm sure that there are people that said Donald Trump was the Antichrist. There were people that said Obama was the Antichrist. There are people that are saying Trudeau in Canada is the Antichrist. Or there's rulers, you know, Saddam Hussein was the Antichrist. Folks, these guys are bad. But they are nowhere near to what is coming. And so there are people that look at this book as a history book to where we can kind of piece everything together. And if we put the puzzle pieces just right, we know exactly how it's going to happen. And then there's... Those that look at this as a prophetic book, which means you believe these things have yet to be fulfilled, 
But when they are fulfilled, they will be fulfilled just like it says. In other words, these things have not happened yet, but in a prophetic way, we believe that it will happen like this. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, today, every generation says this. I'm sure some of you that have what the Bible says, uh, strands of wisdom and honor in your hair, this white. You probably remember when you were uh, young and the preacher was saying that the time of the Lord's return is now. And you're like, well, I'm, I'm near the end of my life and I'm still waiting. And then there's some of you that think that, well, it's never going to happen. Folks, we don't know. It could happen in the blink of an eye. But I do know this. I know this, that if I am going to be making a recipe, I am going to have to get the things I need, the ingredients, and put them on the table and get ready to cook whatever this is. And I'm telling you, when you read the passage I'm about to read to you, you're going to see that the ingredients are ready. But the timing is by God's grace. Check out 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 through 12. It says, and you know what is holding him back. In other words, you know what is holding God from allowing all of this to transpire. It says, for he can be revealed only when his time comes. For this lawlessness is already at work, and it will remain secret until the one who is holding it steps out of the way. The man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. Remember, this is written even before this vision was given to John. This is written by Paul to the church at Thessalonica. Isn't it amazing that he's getting all these details right? And it says in verse 9, This man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit powers and signs and miracles. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. But there was ever a time in culture where people were refusing to acknowledge and give authority to the word of God, it would be today. And it says, they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. What we see here is the only thing keeping the Antichrist from rising is the very hand of God that is still giving the world time to repent. Even, I said earlier, and I say it again, this is a book of love. I'm telling you, that dog is on a leash. And that dog is ready to hunt. But yet, God is saying, no, I'm going to give this person one more shot. One more minute. One more second. Until that time is over. Because after the church of Jesus Christ is raptured, God is going to let this dog eat. Talking about the Antichrist. He's going to let him loose for the hunt. Second seal we see is a red horse. And for the red horse in seal number two, when it's broken, say goodbye to peace. And I thought this was pretty interesting. In verses three and four, it says, when the lamb broke the second seal, I heard the second living being say, come. Then another horse appeared, a red one. Its rider was given a mighty sword and the authority. Check this out. This is crazy. The authority to take. Peace from the earth, and there was war and slaughter everywhere. So we see that one of the horsemen of the apocalypse is war. Matthew 24, 6, Jesus said himself, he said, And you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Notice this, and this is very 
very easy to gloss over. But the writer that comes, does he, does he uh, bring peace with him? What does it say? It says he removes peace. So here's the aha moment for us, church. You realize, and we've said this before, and I'll say it a million times, we live in a fallen, broken, sinful world. Because of the fall of Adam and Eve, an original sin, and because all of us are born for sin, and born for death, and born for hell, and only through Jesus Christ can we be saved to have eternity with Him. So what we see here is the reason our world is messed up, the reason bad things happen to good people, the reason the capital is stormed, the reason there are wars, the reason there are famine, is because if we are left to our natural state, our natural state is evil. So if God wants to judge the world, it's not that He brings peace, He removes it. So that also means that if you want peace, true peace only comes from God himself. In times when we enjoy peace, it is a blessing of God. And when there is no peace, that is God's judgment. Notice that God gave the rider on the horse the authority to remove peace from the world. God's love brings judgment to show the results of rejecting God's peace. I, I, I fully believe the reason we're in the shape we're in today is that we have denied and and tried to throw out God and everything that we have and, and just exo- not exonerate, but just expel God or any instance of God from any institution that is in our culture today. And God is saying, you want me out? Okay, you will reap the benefits of that. You want peace to be gone? You got it. Kind of like when your children want something you know is bad for them. You say, okay, big boy, go ahead. And then they realize they don't want them after they got it. That's us to a large degree when it comes to the Lord. The third seal, the black horse. The black horse represents famine. Verses 5 and 6, it says, When the lamb broke the third seal, I heard the third living being say, Come. I looked up and saw a black horse, and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hands. And I heard a voice from among the four living beings saying, A loaf of wheat bread or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay. And don't waste the olive oil and wine. So why does this mean poverty and famine? Well, back in the day when you went to the store, it wasn't like you just go down to to the bargain mart or whatever you want to go to and just buy a pound of ground beef. I mean, I remember when... Corona first hit, I, when it was a couple of weeks and I finally saw my first pound of ground beef and I was rejoicing in the Lord. Still didn't have toilet paper, but I had ground beef. We were excited about that. And the thing is, is that a lot of us in our generation, some of you in here, if, if the grocery store is closed, you wouldn't miss a beat because you grow your own food, you hunt your own food, you can skin it, you can cook it, you can saute it, you can crock pot it, you can do whatever you want and, and y'all are going to be fed, but Folks like me, we're soft. We got to buy with our our hunt is find the best deal and swiping. That's how we get our meals. But there's going to be a day, my friends, to where famine is going to hit us in a real way. I mean, just think about the way that the coronavirus, a little minuscule virus, has taken down a world. All it would take would be one type of disease, one type of warfare, to start wiping out animals, to start wiping out vegetation, and the whole cycle would start. And so we see here that these scales would be used so when you went to the store, 
to buy your goods, they would measure them out with these scales. That's why the scales are mentioned here. And so it's a picture of having to measure out, or even better yet, ration foods. In other words, it's like one of those things. Well, it's, it's sad they have to tell people at the grocery store now, you're only allowed one pack of toilet paper. Have you all seen that? It's great. Why is toilet paper the one thing everybody's going for? And, and you'll go to people's houses and they will have rooms full of that stuff. It's amazing what we do. And this is not a sermon on toilet paper, at least I hope it's not. But the truth of the matter is, is that we see that even just a loaf of bread would cost you a day's wages. Folks, there's going to come a day where your money's not going to matter. You will barely be able to find the, the means to live. Just paying for a loaf of bread will cost you 12 times what it normally costs. Folks, we don't know famine. and We don't know hunger like the rest of the world. And then when it says don't waste the olive oil and the wine, that means that there will still be nicer things available if you're rich enough to afford it. That's what that's talking about. The next horse, the pale horse. When I see the pale horse, I think of that old uh, Clint Eastwood movie, Pale Rider. It was based off of this passage. Anybody know who Clint Eastwood is except me and Jimmy? <laughs> All right, Deborah's in the back. She knows. It. Anyway, he was an actor. But in verses 7 and 8, it says, When the Lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living being say, Come. I looked up and saw a horse whose color was pale green, and its rider was named Death, and his companion was the grave. These two were given authority over one-fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and to famine and disease and wild animals. What we see is during the times of tribulation, as these seals are unbroken, there will be death tolls bigger than you have ever seen. It will make the COVID-19 virus look small compared to what's going to happen during these times. Jesus himself said in Matthew twenty four twenty one, for there will be greater anguish or greater tribulation than at any time in the world since it began, and it will never be so great again. Jesus is warning us, folks, that if we think we have seen bad days, we haven't seen anything yet. And for those who reject God's Son, their days will be filled with these terrible events. Well, we're moving on to the fifth of the seven seals. We see God's vengeance in verses 9 through 11. It says, when the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar. And that's key there, under the altar. I'll underline that if you're taking notes or highlight or whatever you want to do. It says, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. So when I think of that, I think of those that have given their lives for their faith. Missionaries that have given their lives for their faith. People that have come to Christ and been killed because of that in other lands, in other nations. People that have lost their lives literally because they would not renounce Christ. And it doesn't go so far. I mean, many of us remember back to Columbine when supposedly the, the, the teenage killers were looking at students that were in a Bible study and asked the students in the Bible study at a high school in America, in Colorado, to choose to recant their beliefs. And they said no. And then, boom, they were shot. 
I hate to be graphic and I hate to be rude, but the truth of the matter is, is that we don't know martyrdom like some people do, but it has hit us. And many of us in here today, or if you're watching, may not ever have a chance to give your life for Christ in the sense of dying for what you believe. But I'll tell you what, you can live the life of a martyr. You can live a life that says if something were to happen, if someone were to be convicting people for living the Christian life, that there would be enough evidence to convict you. What's that old uh, that old saying? If loving God was a crime, I'd be an outlaw. Would you? We can live the life of a martyr, but these days are going to get worse. And it says, check this out. They shouted to the Lord. All the martyrs are shouting to the Lord. It says, Oh, sovereign Lord, holy and true. How long before you judge the people who belong to this world? And check this out. And avenge our blood for what they have done to us. So even the martyrs are saying, We don't like the fact that we were martyrs. We want you to get even with them. How long is it going to take for you to one-up and get, get vengeance for our death? They're actually praying to God to take vengeance on the people that have killed them. Then a white robe was given to each of them, and they were told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters and their fellow servants of Jesus were to be martyred and had joined them. In other words, he's saying, hold on, there's still some more that have to be just like you, that have to be killed for their faith. But when that time is over, I promise you that I will take vengeance. And so... When we, I ask you to underline the fact that it says that I saw under the altar in heaven the souls that had been martyred. If you go back to Leviticus chapter 4 verse 7, that is a reference to the sacrificial system of the Old Testament to where it says in 4-7, it says, Then the priest will then put some blood on the horns of the altar for fragrant incense that stands in the Lord's presence inside the tabernacle. And he will pour out the rest of the bull's blood at the base of the altar for burnt offerings at the entrance of the temple. The bloods of the martyrs in this vision during these end times will be the blood that represents the sacrifice that Jesus made for your sins and mine. Hebrews 9.22 says that without the shedding of the blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. My friend, I'll tell you what, if you... Take God's forgiveness lightly. You are taking the blood that he shed for you lightly. And then here's the the theological question here. Is it right for martyrs to call for vengeance? We've always been taught not to take vengeance. Love your enemies as you love yourself. Right? We aren't supposed to take vengeance into our own hands. Batman's cool, but we're not, we don't need to become a vigilante, Right? If someone does something wrong to you and you return it to them, you will be guilty of the same law that they did against you. That's the way it works now. But here we have a martyr saying, God, take vengeance for us. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you this, that if you want to pray for vengeance, the best person to ask for vengeance, to take vengeance, is God himself. God doesn't say he's not going to take vengeance. What does he say? It's not time yet. So if you want to pray a million times for God to take vengeance on those that have hurt you and have hurt other Christian believers, folks, it's not wrong to ask God to do what he has promised. 
You just got to trust him for his timing. The sixth seal says this broken world will fall apart. And uh, we were talking in Bible study earlier, and uh, one of our folks said they were just remarking about how much she loves to look into the sky. Y'all like to watch the sky? How many of y'all saw the, the planets aligning and all that kind of stuff? I, I saw a picture about a couple of years ago when they had the eclipse, and here I am in the backyard with the glasses trying to look up to it. Pretty cool. The heavens amaze me. I always have been big in, into space and astronomy and whatnot. But uh, I got bad news for you. One day all of this stuff is going to break badly. And this is what we see. In Revelation 6, 12 through 17, the sixth seal changes perspective. No longer are we talking about spiritual life and spiritual things. Now Jesus is talking about the nuts and bolts of this physical world. And he says in verses 12 through 17, I watched as the Lamb broke the sixth seal, and there was a great, a great earthquake. <laughs> I want to say great earthquake. <laughs> and there was a great earthquake. And uh, I am smart enough to know that in the Bible that when it says there is a great earthquake, what is an earthquake? An earthquake. We think that we've seen earthquakes. If, we've, if you live out on the West Coast, you know what an earthquake is. We felt tremors here, but nothing like out in California or out in Haiti and other places. It says the sun became as dark black as cloth and the moon became as red as blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth like green figs falling from a tree shaken by a strong wind. The sky was rolled up like a scroll and all the mountains and islands were moved from their places. Then everyone, the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, and every slave and free person all hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they cried to the mountains and the rocks, Please fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of the wrath has come, and who is able to survive? What we see here in the Bible, disturbances in the realms of the sky and space were often connected with the coming of Jesus Christ. So what we see in this passage, for Jesus' arrival, God gave the shepherds a star to follow. You remember that? The star of Bethlehem? So for Jesus' birth, they had a star to follow. And for Jesus' return, the stars are going to fall. Because there is going to be nothing that outshines the returning of Jesus Christ. You will no longer be able to trust the sky above you. The houses you call your home will be the ones that are falling on you. The ground that was once solid will now be shaking. Folks, the day of the Lord is near, my friends, and I can't tell you exactly how or when it's going to happen, but I can tell you that I have enough faith in God's Word to know that it's going to happen. Look, if you want to celebrate Christmas and the birth of Jesus, and in just a couple of months we'll be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, then you better be celebrating the return of Jesus because it's part of the package. Just to kind of wrap this up, it says there will be a day of reckoning for everyone. Notice they say 
for the rocks to fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne from the wrath of the Lamb. Who did it say was saying this? It said rulers, generals, wealthy, slave, powerful, free. In other words, it meant no matter how much power you have during the earth right now, while everything's going on, no, no matter if you are in the highest office or you are in the lowest office, if your bankroll is off the chain or you have barely enough to scrape together to eat today, whether you are working a job or you are, you know, feel like you're just working from day to day or you're doing nothing, it doesn't matter. Everybody is going to be affected by this tribulation and they would rather the rocks fall on them than to meet God and for God to look at them and them to look at God, they would rather die. I'm here to tell you, and we know this from Adam and Eve, you cannot hide from God. The wrath of the Lamb is strong because it's coming from the one who died to save you. And this passage this morning begins with the arrival of the Antichrist, and it ends with the return of Jesus. So you begin with the fake and you end with the real. Sinners fear the revealed presence of God more than death because at that point it will be impossible to ignore God. Right now you can play games. Right now you can, you can manage your feelings. You can go to therapy or you can, can get habits or you can get in relationships that will mask your need for God. But one day you will be unable to go to the left or go to the right. Every one of us at some point in our life whether it be in the middle of our life or at the end of our life, we're going to have to look God face to face and we will not be able to weasel our way out of it. So if you are a believer, you have no need to fear His return. Sinners fear the revealed presence of God more than death because at that point it will be impossible to ignore him. And look, I know as I'm preaching this, y'all are thinking, man, it's almost time for lunch. And, and you, you're thinking about a million things other than what I'm saying. And that's okay. But I just pray that one day when the Holy Spirit tugs at your heart, you're going to remember this scripture. You're going to remember that there is some red faced preacher with red hair that told you at some point all of us are going to have to face God. And it's better to do business with him now than for him to take care of it later. All of this information sounds like a band warming up for one of the greatest concerts ever. And we can stop today. The seventh seal has yet to be broken. Why is that? Because there's more to come. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your scripture, for this revelation, Lord. I, I just fear that too many times we look into the sensationalism of it and try to make it into some kind of uh, mystical document. But Lord, it's plainly stating here that the time to do business with you is now. And so, Lord, it is just my prayer if there's someone in here that's playing games with you, the Lord, today is the day they stop. Because we don't know when you're going to come back. We don't know when our last breath on this earth will be. And if there's one person here that does not know you as their God, does not know your son, Jesus, as their Savior and Lord, may they not leave this place today. May they not log off of this video today until they know for sure. 
I will not leave this place until everyone is left, and I will answer every message on the Facebook Live. If you want to know for sure that you're a Christian, and that when all of these things are taking place, that you will be in a much better place. Lord, I pray that you work and that you move. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.